Nice to have you come and minister with us this morning. Thank you very much. As usual, it's always a privilege and an honor to be here. Um, as ministers of the word, we take it seriously that um, we are instruments and vessels of what God wants to do in your life and bring things to your remembrance. So this morning, I, I've, we've got to carry on with what the word of God is teaching us in Galatians. But before we do, I'd like you to open your hearts and allow God to speak afresh to you. Because sometimes we can hear a thing over and over to where we become dull of hearing. How many of you have experienced that? I know I have. Um, And so I want you to just ready your hearts for what the Lord wants to deposit this morning. Because in the time of prayer and, and even in conversation with other believers about this morning, I felt the Lord impress on me the fact that there are many here that need to be reminded of just how powerful they are. Because the world around us is constantly trying to conform us to the way that it looks. But Jesus has called us to allow the internal pressure of heaven to manifest as our character and nature in our lives so that we live out who we really are. So if you can, please go with me to your Bibles. We're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be starting there, verse 13. And um, part of this would be what what, um, Steve was talking about last week or wanted to talk about last week. And I just wanted to bring this in because there's a lot of context that comes into this. As you know, Paul is writing to the Galatians and he is busy dealing with this whole idea of um, them going back in under the law. And people will normally think, well, that means, you know, they went back to the Ten Commandments. But it can also mean that you have now decided that you are going to earn your right standing with God by eating ice cream every Sunday. It can be anything that you've put in the way that you've decided that qualifies you to be good enough for God. So all the works of the law were there with the purpose and the intent of actually trying to qualify you for God. And the reality was that nothing was good enough. There was nothing that you could do to make yourself good enough. And so this morning, I want to cover these three things, and I hope that you take these away. So if you have a notepad and pen, you want to write these down. These are the three main things I want you to take away, and that's that the law could not save us. And you see, the more we depend on rules and regulations to save us, the more we come into bondage. So the law could not save us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how Paul expounds on that. And then secondly, salvation came through the promise. It didn't come through your efforts. Salvation came through the promise. And I'm going to explain a couple of things about that. And then the fulfillment of the promise actually produces sons of God. The fulfillment of the promise actually produces sons of God. So, number one, the law could not save us. So, if you're reading in your Bibles in verse 13, it says there, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham 
might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, this is quite an intricate verse, and what he is actually trying to communicate is that the blessing that was on Abraham was there because God made a promise to Abraham that was carried forth into Abraham's seed, and we're going to see that a little bit later on and how that plays out. So we can understand from this that the blessing of Abraham comes through the promise of God's Spirit through faith. Do you see that? Okay, so how do we get the promise of Abraham? How many of you have heard of Abraham? Now, Abraham, the Bible says he was really wealthy. Hello? He had many cattle, many servants. I mean, he was rich enough to wage war against an, uh, an army and rescue Sodom and Gomorrah from their defeat. And he went there with his servants and their pitchforks and won. The favor of God in Abraham's life was so immense that even when Lot chose the land that was better, God blessed the land he was on and made it better. I hope that you're catching something here this morning because you feel sometimes you've been dealt a bad deal, but maybe when it's impossible for you, it becomes possible for God. Maybe when you, cho- when you take something that you think you can do, then you're limiting God to your ability rather than allowing God to work beyond your ability. Okay. Oh, hallelujah. It's an early morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so the blessing of Abraham, who would like the blessing of Abraham on their lives? There's at least two of you. Anybody else? All right. So the blessing of Abraham can come to you, but it comes to you through the Spirit of God that you receive by faith in Jesus Christ. So only when the Spirit of God moves into this abode do you carry the favor of God with you. So this is what Paul then goes on to illustrate. He says, look, if, let me give you an example of why I mean Abraham was so important. He says, because uh, to give you a human example, brothers, even when a man made covenant is established, right? No one annuls it or adds to it once it is ratified. Now that word ratified is a little bit of a big English word and actually means officiated. Once a covenant has been officiated, in other words, it is official, no one can add to it or annul it without there being consequences, without breaking it. Does that make sense? And so God is a covenant-keeping God even when you don't keep it. Because Abraham, right, you would imagine, was Abraham then so faultless that God could make a covenant with him that he wouldn't break it? No, God was smart enough to not make a covenant directly with Abraham, but to make a covenant with Abraham's seed. And that seed would be Jesus, and Jesus could keep it. Oh, Jesus. Oh, there's good news in the house this morning. I promise you. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. The better word for the translation here is seed. But it can be misconstrued by some people. So, offspring it is. Um, It does not say, and to offsprings, it should be seeds, because it's to one of his descendants, not to all of his descendants. Referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, in quotes, who is Christ. So you can see that the seed is Jesus. So, this, so in Abraham 
was Jesus, and God was making a promise to Abraham that one day Jesus would come and he would fulfill this covenant. It was a promise that God would put on flesh and keep the covenant for us. Are you hearing me? He made a covenant with himself so he could keep it on your behalf, so that your righteousness would not depend on you, but depend on him. I mean, you've got to hear the good news here. So that means that when God introduced the law, it did not annul or add to the promises that were made to Abraham and his seed, who is Christ. That means the law could not affect what God had established with Abraham and the promise that he made for redemption to all of us. There was no way that that law could have an impact because it was a separate contract. It wasn't one that annulled the previous one. In fact, we know that the law has been annulled because God says so. He found fault with it. The people could not keep it because the law was dependent on you being good enough for him. Hallelujah. You guys are making me work hard this morning. I love you, all of you. This is what I mean. The law which comes 430 years after the promise does not annul a covenant previously rectified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. So because once you were relying on rules and regulations to attain favor, it's no longer by the promise of someone giving you favor. It is no longer, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so a promise is what God gave us. Now, Abraham was on this side of the timeline, and he was looking towards the future of what God was promising him. He had to have more faith than any of us because he couldn't see it at all. And there was no history telling him it was going to happen. We get to live here on this side where we can look back and say, yes, Jesus did come. Yes, Jesus did fulfill the scriptures. Yes, Jesus did accomplish the task. Yes, Jesus did do what he said he would do. God has kept his word. Are you hearing me this morning? God is not keeping his word. He's kept his word. The promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus because when God sent Jesus, he sent his yes. So it says here, for the inheritance comes by the law. So if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So the law did not replace the promise God made to Abraham. Galatians 3.19. Why then the law? Why was the law even given? So he explains now the purpose of the law. It was added because of transgression until the seed or the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. That was the reason for the law. And it was put in place through angels and by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So that means it wasn't just God. There were other, Moses was there, angels were there. It was put in place by an intermediary. It wasn't God's first prize. 
is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Because often that is what it sounds like we're saying. But the truth is, no, it's not. For if a law had been given that could give you life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. In other words, if you could actually keep it, then you would be righteous. The problem is you can't. Because everyone thinks of the 10, but they forget the 370. They forget that if you shave your face, you've already sinned. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm holy. Holier than thou. But do you understand what I'm saying to you? That there were laws in place that if you broke them, it would end in death. And we don't live under those. But many people want to hold on to the Ten Commandments as if that's going to be their salvation. And the reality is, even though the law is not against the gospel, it isn't the means by which we are redeemed. It is only the measuring rod that exposes how deeply disturbed our sin really is and how desperately we need a Savior. So, he says here, but the Scripture, right, imprisons everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Say, I believe. You mean it. I believe. Right. So the law does not contradict God's promise, but salvation cannot come by the law. A doctor's diagnosis of your situation cannot heal you. It's only a diagnosis. When the mechanic tells you this and this and this is wrong, that doesn't automatically fix it. They actually have to go in and fix it. Does it make sense? All right. So so salvation comes through the promise. That's where it comes through. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Right? So there was a faith that was coming, and there was a law that was living. The law at the time was governing people like a guardian, but the the faith that was coming would be our ability to trust what Jesus had done on our behalf instead of what we do to try and reach God. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the point was that we would be justified by faith all the time. The law acted as a guardian until Christ came. That's what the law's purpose was. Now that means that the law was trying to expose and restrict the amount of lawlessness that was happening in order to preserve mankind until Christ could come and redeem us. Because unchecked, man could have self-destructed himself without there being any guidance. Does it make sense? And so God put this in place in order to keep us aware of what was wrong so that we would realize that we couldn't just carry on that way, that it was devastating, that it was destructive, and that it was against God. Does that make sense? But he never meant for it to be a solution to the problem. He had a solution, and it was his son. So Galatians 3.25 says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Can you please say that? I'm no longer under a guardian. 
You need to mean it. Like, I'm no longer under a guardian. Yes, because now I have a parakletos. Now I have the Holy Ghost. Now I have someone who walks with me. Who doesn't, he's not my guardian, he's my helper. Are you hearing me? He's not the one to point out my faults. He's the one to remind me of who I am. Oh, please hear me this morning. He's not the one who's saying, oh, you, you, you should just quit this thing because you're no good at it. He's the one saying, come on, I, I'm, I'm living in you. Let me out. Let me out. Well, let, me, let me touch him. Let me touch him. Have you ever had that? If I could just touch that person, their lives will change forever. That's the Holy Spirit going, let me touch him. Because your hand is a landing ground, right, on someone else where heaven can invade. Come on, man. You might not realize this, but God has more faith in you than you have often in him. He gave you the responsibility of this gospel. He paid the utmost price and then said, I trust you. I trust you. Go and share this message. Go and bring big people back to me. Go and remind the world of who I am. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Even you girls. Hello, ladies. If I can be a pretty bride dancing and frolicking, like Steve says then you definitely have to man up and be a son. It plays both ways. Don't you think? And listen, I'm in love with my Jesus. I love him. He's awesome. I don't mind him being my husband. Is that weird? Because that's what the Bible says. It's a relationship. I have, I have my father in heaven. Jesus is my big brother. And also he's the bridegroom. I'm the bride and I'm a son. So I have different roles that I fulfill. But so often we see ourselves as kinerkis, children. Children. We are the children of God. You know, that immediately means that you identify with the most immature level of your spirituality. When sons were born in the Jewish lifestyle, once they reached a certain age, they were no longer called children. They were called sons. Why? Because they were given responsibility. What distinguishes a son from a child is the amount of responsibility you're willing to take on. Is this making sense to you? Because how many of you are going to trust your four-year-old with your Mercedes-Benz? Anybody in the house? I'd like to come visit you. I'll take the keys. I'll borrow your Mercedes-Benz. You'll never see it again. Amen. Because a child is not supposed to ride a Mercedes-Benz. But when your child is old enough to ride a Mercedes-Benz, you want to teach him how to ride the car. Am I right? So it's important that we understand that before, under the law, we could be nothing more but children. In fact, we were more just servants and slaves to the law. But in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. It means that you get that just by trusting that what he said you can be, you are. Does that make sense? Our trust in Christ's finished work releases us from the guardianship of the law. It means that we're no longer schooled by the law. We now are schooled 
by walking in the Spirit and fellowshipping with the Holy Ghost. He teaches us what? All things. He reveals what? All things. He'll guide us into all truth. Isn't that what Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do? He said he would make known to you everything that is mine. All that the Father's is is mine. It means you, you literally have access to all the knowledge and all the wisdom right now that you ever need. So in Galatians 3:27 it says for as many of you as, who uh, sorry for as many of you as were baptized into Christ you have put on Christ How many of you have been baptized in water Okay baptized in water that means you you went down and by faith you believe that you were buried with Christ and you were resurrected with him into a new way of life That's what it symbolizes am I correct So when you come out you have now been baptized into Christ, but now when you come out of the water, you have to now live every day and put him on. Paul literally says, daily I die. Daily I put him on. Because every day I remind myself, who am I in Christ? Because your identity is what's going to keep you from falling prey to the enemy's shenanigans. Because the devil is always trying to tell you you're not who God says you are. He's constantly trying to persuade you that you are a substandard individual, that you do not have the power or the authority that God says you have. So the Bible says very clearly here, it says, look, there is no distinction between nationalities. You see that? There is no Jew nor Greek. That means that there is no black nor white. That means that there is no Chinese nor Portuguese. That means that there is no Swahili or Zulu. They all, all of them are in Christ. So God does away with all nationalities and brings us all into one. Am I right? Children of heaven. Hallelujah. Then he says there's no slave nor free. means everyone. Whether you think you're a slave or you're free, everyone. And there's no male nor female. That means you're all sons. For you are all one in Christ. Can you believe it? That's in your Bible. You are all one in Christ. And I mean, it's amazing because that's exactly what Steve was talking about this morning when he said that you will get a revelation and an understanding that you are in him and that he's in you and that you're one. How many of you believe that when you're married, you become one flesh? Am I right? Now, Paul writes and he says, I tell you a mystery. I'm talking to you about Christ and his church. Whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So if you are one spirit with him, then it's very clear that we are in him. Now, the best illustration I have for this, for you guys, is my favorite drink called coffee. How many of you like coffee? When you make coffee, right, you have the different ingredients that you put into coffee. You have, for those of you who indulge in sugar, you have your sugar. There's milk, there's water, and then there's the substance called coffee that we either get from a bean or some of you use this other stuff called instant coffee. So 
So those are the ingredients. They're all, we can identify them as individual. They have different characteristics and they have different functions. But they all come together into the cup. We still call it coffee, yet they are all part of it. Does it make sense? And so when it's made, when the cup of coffee is made, you don't go and say, oh, this is a cup of milk. Or this is a cup of sugar. Or this is a cup of water, even though those things are in there. You still call it coffee, but those things are all mixed in together to such a degree that it's now become one thing. Am I right? And, and I want to propose to you this morning that that is exactly what God has done with us. That he has poured us into the mix and that he has mixed us into him so that we are one with him so that ultimately there would be no difference between us and him. That's right. That is something to be excited about. <laughs> God has literally mixed us in. We are in Him. Amen. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring or seed, heirs according to the promise. In Christ, we are one. And if we are one in Christ, we are heirs of the promise made to Abraham. That means that the blessings of Abraham are yours already. And the fact that you haven't experienced them is because you're not fully persuaded that they're yours. It's the only reason. It's not God. He's not holding back. You don't need another prophetic word. You just got one. Hallelujah. You got a prophetic word right now. Isn't the word of God, the spoken word of God, if I read God's word and I speak it out, is it not a prophetic word? Okay, you're looking at me with disbelief. But it's true. It's true. So now we get to the last part, and this is the reason for why God has done all these things, and that is the fulfillment of the promise. It produces sons. You see, here's the problem. Many of us hear these truths, but we don't see them manifest in our lives because we don't understand something very practical. The thing we don't understand is that just because God has done everything for us doesn't mean we know everything he's done for us. Oh, you don't know what you don't know. And it's killing you. Ignorance is not bliss. It's the devil's playground. Are you listening? So when you don't know what you don't know, and it's stealing your lunch and popping the bag, maybe you need to get to know. Because Jesus said that we should go after the truth. Isn't that right? The Word of God teaches us that in all your gaining, gain understanding. Why? Because my people perish for lack of knowledge. Are you following me this morning? So, I mean, this is an important part because all this time he's built up to explain to the Galatians and to you that because of what Abraham did and because of what he believed and what God accomplished through him, you have now become an heir. Say, I'm an heir through God. Now, you've got to be a little bit more excited about that. You know, if... I'm an heir through God. Yeah, I inherit because of Jesus. Isn't that right? I'm an inheritor. Right? Woo! There is an inheritance for me. Come on, man. But just the problem with heirs. Watch what it says here. It says, I mean that an heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Why? He's no different from a slave, though he is the owner of 
everything, but he is under a guardian and managers until the date set by his father. Do you see that? There is no difference between a child and a slave until he realizes he is the owner of everything. Does it sound like you already got it? Does it sound like when you get the Holy Ghost and God moves in, all of God might just move in? Maybe, maybe you wouldn't get the junior Holy Spirit. Maybe you got the full thing. Hey? This is something important, guys, because daily we live according to human limitations when we are enthroned in heavenly possibilities. And if we keep looking at the world through the human limits that we have, we will only live according to those limits. We will never, ever press in to the heavenly opportunities that are right in front of us that He's empowered us to take advantage of. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, it's right here. While we were children, we were unaware. But Christ came in the fullness of time so that we might be adopted as sons. Now, I don't know. Look, if, I want you to think about this. If some really rich guy, right? And there's so many now, right? So if I use somebody, then immediately like there's some controversy because some people like some people more than others. But let's just say it's Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or, or Bill Gates, or whoever it is, right? Guy with lots of money. If he says, listen, I want to adopt you as a son, what will your answer be? It sounds like you're a lot happier about that than what I just preached for the last 20 minutes. Because the reality is you don't understand who's adopted you. Who has adopted you is the creator of everything. Nothing is impossible with him. Nothing. Not a single thing. And if he's with you, then who can come against you? And if he's for you, then who can be against you? He will cause you to be a blessing in places where blessings cannot flow other than him blessing you. He was supposed to be rivers in deserts. You might think, oh, it's such a dry place. Well, you're in the right place because we need you here. We need the river of God to flow from in the innermost parts of your being so that it can radically infect people with the virus of God's glory. Come on now. You have life in you. The life of God is waiting to flow out of you and into other people by what you say, by how you act, by just every little thing you do. Even if it's just like, when you get well soon, brother, in Jesus' name, healed. Why not? It doesn't have to be complicated. The methods aren't sacred. The messages. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Father. That's how you pronounce that word. Because it's the first breath the child takes. That's where they originated that word from. Father. Because that's where we got our breath from. Does it make sense? 
It's your heart crying out for your union with your Father in heaven who has adopted you. And immediately, immediately, you are a new creation. Immediately, the old has passed away and the new has come. Immediately, immediately, you are a brand new creature. Something that never existed before. That has only been brought into existence by the finished work of the cross. Your history is gone. That person has died. Jesus is king. And you are with him. Your future is bright. Tomorrow can be better than today, but today can be great, and tomorrow can be great, and the next day can be even greater. God doesn't need evil to show himself well. God has got levels of goodness you haven't even experienced yet. So I want to ask you do you call him Father? Do you call him Father? Do you have the Spirit of God in you calling Father? So you are no longer a slave. Woo! You are no longer what? You are no longer a slave. Woo! But a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That means heaven is your inheritance. Everything laid up in heavenly places is yours already. Everything Jesus had access to is there for you. Does God say, Jesus, you can come into the secret room here? But you guys just stay over there. Or does Jesus let you get treated the way he gets treated so we all come into that room? With boldness we come before the throne of grace. Now that we are sons, we are no longer slaves. We are heirs through God. Okay, that deals with the text. This morning, I really believe that the Lord wants to reaffirm to you that He is your Father. And He wants to reaffirm to you that He loves you and that He has placed you here in this place at this time for a purpose and that there is a mandate on your life. And so if we can have the music playing, please. I believe that every single person in this room is, you're not here by accident. You're not here just because you thought you'd come and visit. You're here because God decided that today He wanted to remind you. Now, we've got music. Oh, is it? Oh, sorry, I thought we were Okay. Can you pause that for me? Okay, Robbie, if you guys can come up, that's fine. I didn't, I didn't know you guys had prepared something. My apologies. So, so here's the thing. I want you to understand that this morning, you might be in a place where you're kind of in disbelief about what I just said. You might think that this is a great message, that it's encouraging, but I believe that God wants to take you to another level. I think He wants you to experience Him in a whole new way. And so if you need and would like the Lord to affirm you, to remind you of who you are and to encourage you this morning. And while these guys are worshiping Jesus, I'd ask you to come up. There's certain um, ministry teams and that, if you guys can come up as well. 
so that the guys that need ministry can come. Please stand up and come forward so that we can minister to you. This is a time where I believe the Holy Spirit really wants to do something. Don't be afraid. We're all family here. Come. Come. Come on. Yes, Father, I thank you. Your word does not return void. It is your word that became flesh and walked amongst us. It's your word, Father. Come. Don't, don't let the devil rob you because you feel that you, people are going to look at you funny. Man, we all need to be reminded that we are his kids. We all need that. Every one of us. So if it's you, come up. Come up. Those of you who have spoken to about ministering to people, if you can come to the front here and begin to minister. Father God, I thank you that this morning, every single person in this place, every single person in this place will come to a deeper, a deeper, a deeper reality of who they are in you and how much you love them. Go on, guys. You can find out from the people what, what they need prayer for, and you can carry on praying. Just lay your hands and impart the life of God and ask the Holy Spirit to give them times of refreshing. Right now, receive from Jesus. He's the one that is reminding you this morning. No matter who touches you, no matter who speaks to you, it's the Word of God that brings life. Jesus said, my words... Our spirit and life. Rado suru do kusite de de di adaboso.